0: As we continue on this sermon series, kind of called it Changing the Way You Think, I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge your thinking today when it comes to this whole idea of family. I'm going to challenge the way kind of our world tends to react and our world tends to go about things. And as we go through this story, I think God gives us some amazing wisdom on how to deal with, with hurting families, how to deal with, with kids when they outgrow us and our ability to control things, you know. Um, and that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today, because I believe that some of the deepest hurts that we can experience in life, well, they come from our families, right? Our spouses, our kids, our relatives, the, the people that know us the best seemingly can hurt us the worst. They can be ungrateful, they can be unkind, they can be unfaithful, so many different things. And so the story that we're going to be taking a look at is one of Jesus' most famous parables, because I think that we can read ourselves into it so easily in different parts, whether it be the father or the older brother or the son. And it's a story that I believe can change the way we think about our families. and can absolutely give hope to, to hurting, hurting parents here this morning. And so if you're a parent, this is going to be challenging, especially if you have older kids around high school or older. This is going to be challenging if you have younger kids and, and try to think about increasing their freedom so that eventually they can grow up and move out of the house. It's challenging all the way around, even if you're the kid that keeps looking to mom and dad to bail you out of things. Now, as I begin talking about this, though, I have to confess, I feel a little bit about like this guy was reading Charles Shedd. Uh, Charles Shedd used to do a seminar uh, on parenting when he was single, and it was called How to Raise Your Children, very determined and confident title there. Then he said after he got married, he changed the title to Some Suggestions for Parents. <laughs> and then after he had the first kid, he changed it to Feeble Hints to Fellow Strugglers. And then after his third kid, he just gave up. He said, I, I just couldn't give the talk anymore, you know. I came across another illustration about a lady who jumped on a bus one day. She had five kids with her. And the bus driver asked her, "He these all your kids or are you heading to a picnic? And she said, buddy, they're all mine and it ain't no picnic, you know. <laughs> a lady asked her husband after uh, he took her son to school, she said, did Billy cry when you took him to school? The father said, no, but his teacher sure did, you know. And so while we've established the fact that I'm no expert when it comes to parenting, I have three girls of my own and I I keep doing what I think is best and I try and I make mistakes and all those different things, I try to show them right from wrong, I try to show them that I love them desperately and I think that's what God's call is for us to do as parents. I want you to know this morning that there is someone who is an expert and it's God and that's who we're going to be learning from this morning. And so in fact one of the things that has really bothered me over the years is simply this. Why it is that godly parents sometimes have kids that go astray, and it really breaks me up. They have all they have all the foundation from parents that love the Lord and have tried with all their hearts and with all their prayers to raise their child in certain ways, and and yet the kids just make different decisions. And it happens all the time. why, Why do you think there's a stigma about pastors' kids? Right? It's happened in the Bible. It happens in church history. It's happened in churches in my lifetime. Some of the most godly people that I know have had kids that have gone astray, have gone off the deep end and I've always wondered why. And I don't know if there's a huge answer to that. I know Satan works awful hard on, on godly people, on religious leaders and all those things because if he thinks if he can trip up that family, man, a lot of people he can trip up at the same time. And I don't know if there is a single answer to that in many ways. I think there's lots of factors. I think there's a lot of parents that I know of personally that carry a lot of guilt thinking that they're the only thing responsible for their kids, but they're not. There are a lot of factors that you don't have any control over, and I'm going to give you the biggest one right now, and it's this, that God has given us, and here's the big part, our kids' free will. I remember I was watching Oprah one time back in the day. I must have been in college and was killing some time in the middle of the afternoon or whatever, but... But there was some person on there complaining about how their parents really messed them up, and that all the things they did in their life was really their mom and dad's fault, you know. And and I said they've got to be kidding me. I mean, I think about all the dumb choices I made in my life, and you know, I'm a pastor, so I made those too. So just yeah, right. But all the dumb choices I made in my life, and, and maybe a lot of them, and and I can't blame one of them. My mom and dad, mom and dad showed me right from wrong. Mom and dad loved me. They tried to point me in the right direction. They tried to encourage the right things. They they prayed for me all the time. There's not one thing that I've done that is absolutely stupid that I can pin on them. Sometimes I'd love to. It would be convenient then I wouldn't have to change myself or look at myself. But but the reality is I have to own it. And that's what complicates being a parent. Not only has he given us free will, but he's given it to our kids. And so as a pastor, maybe more than a lot of people, I see the hurt and the heartbreak that happens in a family when one of its members goes off and, and chooses a lifestyle that messes everybody up because it just doesn't affect that one member. Everybody else is, is bothered by it and, and hurt by it and, and confused by it and, and praying over it constantly. And So this morning, I want to take a look at the story of the prodigal son because I think this story illustrates for us in a wonderful way what we are supposed to do when your children grow beyond your control. And again, this is going to be challenging, right? And as we go through these things, it, we'll see some of the different challenges that lay before us. But this is God's wisdom. This is the way God treats us. And so as we look through the story, it kind of breaks itself up into three stages. And I'll just start with stage one, and I'll call it the rebellion of the son. In verse 11, Jesus said, There's a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his dad, He said, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got all that he had together, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Stage one, then, is this rebellious stage. And here's the deal. In every parent-child relationship, there is going to be a struggle. So if you thought it was just you, it's not. In every parent-child relationship, there is a struggle. And there is a struggle for control. You see, see this, I, saw, I see this in my one-year-old, and my two-year-old. He's five years old now. But I see this in all my different kids. And it's something that just gets worse as they get older. Am I right? Any parents can attest to that, right? They want control of their life. They want to make decisions of their life. We're the meanest people ever during certain parts of, of our kids growing up. But there's a struggle for who's in charge. And at birth, as parents, we get 100% of that control. Except when they cry and then we have to go, right? But so 99.9%. We decide where they go. We decide who they see. We decide what they eat. We decide what they bring into their eyes, right? As far as television, we get to determine all those different things. But as they go grow, that power gets transferred. And it's supposed to get transferred that our control is not permanent, and, and it's hard for us as parents to, to deal with. And kids want that control, when? As soon as humanly possible. In fact, the problem arises when they think they deserve that control sooner than we're ready to give it away. And so we have a picture of that then in this classic confrontation. In verse 12, this younger son goes to his dad and says, Father, give me. I want you to the words here, give me. I think that's probably the root of all rebellion. If I could just do as I please, if I could be my own boss, if I didn't have to answer to anyone, life would be great. It seems that way, at least when we're kids. It seems like that would solve all of our ills, but it never quite works out. In verse 13, after outgrowing his father's household, he goes to, it says that he got all that he had together and he set off for a distant country and he squandered his wealth and while living. And so here, this kid, he's heading off to Hollywood, right? He's going to live it all up, going to Sunset Strip in Jerusalem. And so he gets in his Camelac, and he's cruising the boulevard, right, having a great time, you know, partying it up. He's doing exactly what he wants to do, what he thinks is right. But at what cost? What can we learn from this boy's father as he's watching all this? And I think that's where the perspective I want to come. I want to come from the parent's perspective, and, and how do you what is the right things to do in the middle of that circumstance? What is the right things to do when you're seeing your kids go off and make horrible, horrible decisions? Decisions that will hurt them, that will complicate their lives, that will have consequences that far outlast what they're thinking. Because the father in this particular story, well, he's an example of God. He's a symbol of God. And how, how we, to deal with our kids um, after they've grown up is, is how, what he shows us in this, in this parable a time when we can't control them anymore, a time when they're making bad or unhealthy decisions. And so he gives us three things, and I just want to share with you, this is maybe the most challenging part of what I'm going to talk to you about today, but this is what God does for us, and we can attest to that, and this is God's call for us as parents. And so when our kids go in those different directions, and there's all different variations of what that looks like, right? Some are much less, some much, much more. God's first thing is to let them go. The younger son, you see it says, set off, and his father didn't chase him down, but he released him. From birth, we're preparing our kids to leave. I think sometimes we forget that. It becomes much more on our, on our mindset as they get into high school, especially their senior year, when we realize it's actually going to happen. And I think one of the most difficult tasks in parenting is knowing when to let go, because it's terrifying, and it's hard. And so we keep asking the question, when do I let him go? And certainly his son's request had to seem foolish to his father. And I'm sure he tried to talk him out of it, but to no avail. The young man was determined to leave. Maybe you can recognize that in your kids at times. They get determined they're going to do what they're going to do. So his father let him go. Because the fact is, and maybe you've experienced this, the tighter we hold on, the worse it gets. The more they resist. And so step one, God says, is we've got to let him go so that they can learn. And here's the progressively difficult part of this. The second thing, we need to let them make their own mistakes. And that's how we learn growing up, by making our own mistakes. And it says here in the text that he squandered his wealth in wild living. He took everything his dad had given him, and he blew it. He wasted it all. And so at first, for this kid, everything's going great in the story. Man, it's party time. He's living it up. He's living the dream, you know, all those different things. He probably tried everything, especially the things that were forbidden at home. He's out having a good time. Living it up, tosses his parents' values to the wind. He rejects the background. He's having a great time. But it says here that he wasted his wealth. And that's really what rebellion always does. It's a waste of life. And and do you think his father knew that his son was going to waste it? Absolutely he did. And you know what was so difficult about that? I mean, think about earning all this money in your life, saving it and saving it and saving it so that you can give it to your kids. And this was through your blood and through your sweat and all those different things and, and giving it to one of your kids, knowing that they're just going to go blow it in the first, in the first month. Do you think the father knew that his son was going to waste it? Again, absolutely. Do you think he knew his son was headed for trouble? Absolutely. Do you think he was tempted to send letters of advice to go and kidnap him and bring him back? Absolutely. But the father realized that there were some things in this life that you could only learn through pain. And the kid was like that. He was stubborn. And the only way he was going to learn was through the school of hard knocks. And in Proverbs, it says, chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Everybody sitting here knows that that's true. It's how we've learned in life. And it's the same way our kids will learn in life. Frank Fried once said this. He said, I talked to, he was a counselor for many years. He said, I talked to a lot of people, and most of them say, if I had to do it over, I'd do less for my children and make them do more for themselves. I'd force them to be more responsible and to grow up. When we take responsibility for our children, we take it away from them, and they resent it. They they hate it. But it's hard, isn't it? It's, It's hard to let them go. And it's even harder to let them make their own mistakes because we know the consequences. We know what's going to transpire. We know the end game that they just don't see. But that's exactly what the father did. He let his son blow it. He let him make his own mistakes. And then I said it would get increasingly harder. And this is where I think we struggle as parents today. Let them reap the consequences of their own choices. There's a price tag for rebellion. It says here that after he spent everything, he began to be in need. There's, again, a price tag for rebellion. In Galatians 6:7, Paul says, whoever whatsoever a man soweth, he will reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And so again, what you sow, you will reap. And so the story continues in verse 14, and it says this, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need, and so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. In other words, he sold himself into slavery for a period of time. And this guy sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no no one gave him anything. And so it was hard times, the party was over, he's broke, he's friendless, he's hit bottom, he has empty pockets, an empty stomach, and an empty life. And the father was watching all this. He's watching his son reap the consequences. We think so often that the father didn't know what was going on. Maybe he didn't, maybe he knew a lot. Israel is not that big a place, I'm sure, and this father was wealthy. He would have sent people over and over to keep tabs on the son. How do you think the parents felt when they saw him doing this? I'm sure they said stuff like, We've raised this kid, we've given him everything, we've done what is right, and now he's blowing it all. How do you think they felt? Probably felt sorry for him, too. My kid's out there suffering. I just can't let him sit in a pig pen eating slop all day. He's dying over there, he's hurting. You he feel sorry for the child. They even probably felt embarrassed. Here's a wealthy farmer and his kids living like a bum, and they were embarrassed, probably. They, every report made them want to die. Every little bit of gossip was like a knife in the heart. And some of you here today know exactly what that feels because you felt it. Your kids have gone off and they've done things that you don't approve of, that you never taught them was right, and you are embarrassed because you know they are more than what they've become. And So here we have this guy simply reaping the consequences for his own decisions. He spent everything, and and now he's in need. And I think there's a great temptation here as parents, especially today, and that is to intervene, to send the care package, to wire the money, to bail them out, to fly out and see them, to send the money. If you don't believe me, go ask any teacher, my son got a C. I want him to get an A. Could you make that happen? Right? Do they deserve an A? No, they obviously deserve a C. But you have parents going to teachers and asking them to trade, change grades. Why? So their kid doesn't learn anything? So their kid doesn't learn to pay attention to when tests are? So that their kid doesn't learn to do homework? So that their kid always feels like they have an excuse because mom and dad will bail them out? Ask any teacher if that's a problem today. But the father knew something very important that all of us, I think, need to learn at some point. And that's that nature has a way of disciplining our kids in a way that we can't. And so God simply says this to him: don't short-circuit the natural consequences. Let them read the consequences of their own decisions. For it's those kind of things that we tend to remember the longest. It's those kind of things that have transformed and changed our lives. It's those kind of things that will change our kids' lives. And so you notice the father who represents God didn't intervene. He let him hit rock bottom. Why? Because he loved his son and he wanted his son to learn. You see, God has this long-range view of us, doesn't he? He sees us before we're born, and he, he wants to see us one day in heaven. And everything he does, he tries to accomplish this end game of us being for, with him forever and eternity. As we go through life, sometimes I think we have this very short-term view. My kid's suffering. Oh, no, I've got to save them. And that is every parent's desire. But God's saying, and he's calling us as parents to play for the long game, to pray that we'll spend our eternity with them in heaven. And if they have some bumps and bruises along the way, if they get to heaven, we've won. We've won our eternity with them. And so here this guy is simply, again, facing the consequences of his decisions. God's call again is don't short-circuit the process, and God did this because he loved his son and he wanted him to learn. And it just brings us to stage two, which is this, a revaluation and regret, because the story doesn't end there. In verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, and some of you are praying for that sentence in your child's life right now. When is my kid going to wake up? When is my kid going to come to his senses? He's ruining his life. When is he going to see that? And you're praying for that. It says here, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's men have food to spare, and, and, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, and I'll go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I want you to notice the change in attitude. Give me versus please, Father, have mercy on me. And he goes through this process from reevaluation to regret to repentance. In other words, he began to wise up. It says he came to himself, he faces the facts, and he realizes and he recognizes what I'm doing is just stupid. Right? What am I doing here? I'm sitting here feeding pigs, and I don't have to. This is insane. This lifestyle is not worth it. And he begins to question his own lifestyle, which is huge in the beginning of learning, and starts to ask the question is this really smart? I heard a pastor one time talking about this kid, uh, the prodigal son. Instead, he went out and he sold his coat, and then he sold his shoes, and he sold his shirts, and then he sold his pants, and then finally he came to himself. Fact is, we never change, right, until we get desperate. We never change until things get so uncomfortable that the change is preferable to the pain that we're going through. And so often it seems in life that God has to get our attention first before we decide to change. And then when we do, amazing things begin to happen because finally God is pushing us in the right direction. But it takes a lot of patience in the in-between times, and that's the difficulty for the parent. But that's what the father did. He waited until God finally got his son's attention, and then he, stage three, brought him home. And I think that's really what all of us want for our kids, right? Not necessarily the physical sense of moving the stuff back in. No, nobody wants that, right? But, but in coming home and reconciling that relationship that has been broken, In the coming home and receiving the forgiveness and love that is there for them, what did the father do? He ran to his son and he hugged him. He didn't want to make him a servant. He just wanted his son back safe and sound to the coming home where we know that they're safe. And that's what God wants for us too, right? He simply wants us to come home where we too can receive this amazing truth that no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've gone away, no matter what our sin is, that we still have a God that loves us, and that we still have a God that's always willing to forgive. The reality is, that we can't out His grace, and we can't get rid of His love. And my prayer is, as you listen to some of this this morning, that that it does challenge you in some of the things that you're doing, that it does challenge you in some of the ways that you're you're raising your kids. You know, I I think being a parent is one of the hardest things and, and the whole idea of today is just to change our thinking just a little bit from doing what's easy or convenient to doing what's right. And so that's my prayer for you today, realizing this final truth that God's still there and that he's still working on your kids and that he still sees and that he still loves them. And all God's people said, Amen.